Tego. I am John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. I will be joined in this program by Ed Schindler and Paul Winnie. Ed is a Seneca elder from here on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. He teaches language and culture and has been a regular here on Let's Talk Native. Paul is Tonawanda Seneca. He is an activist and runs a business in the Seneca community of Tonawanda. His work includes organizing the resistance to a massive solar farm planned in part to be located on the former Seneca settlement of Gunnawagas. But before we begin, I need to set the record straight and make something perfectly clear. We are not environmentalists. We are land defenders. But we don't view land as real estate or property or as financial assets. Land is part of our identity. To be ungwe ungwe means to be a real human being or an original human being. To be real or original is about origin. The assault we see against the environment today is nothing new to us. It is the same fight that began the conflict between our people and the white man. So to defend land is to defend the life sustained by the land. It is to defend our lives and who we are. Sure, it is a fight over land, land occupation, land use, land rights. But it's a fight over how we view the land and what our relationship to the land is. White men had one big advantage over Native people in this battle over our lands. They knew what destroyed land looked like. They knew what barren land was, what overcrowded places looked like, what filth and contamination by man looked like. They knew what land stripped of its natural resources looked like. But we saw early on that white men placed a value on land, but did not value land. Everything came down to money. Land was assessed a value on how much money or wealth it could produce and how quickly it could produce it. Resource extraction began with what was on top of the ground. Trees, water, crops, furs, game. But the white man's desire for gold and silver and other precious metals had them digging and assessing the value for what was below the plow's depth. Oil and coal upped the ante even more. But the idea of land expansion had its own value. Imperialism took colonialism to a whole other level. Slavery allowed white men to get more production from the fields, more production from the mines, and all that production would need roads and canals and rail and pipelines and power lines. So let's back up. Because I maintain that these battles that are being labeled environmental are the same battles behind every massacre, every hanging, every Indian war, every trail of tears, and every other aspect of genocide and ethnic cleansing. The value of the land to white men was not about the land sustaining life generation after generation. It was about how quickly money and resources could be stripped from the land, and then they could just move on to the next parcel. Profit and the return on investment was about how much and how soon. This also marks a bold distinction between how Native people viewed our actions and how white folks did. The reason I reject being labeled an environmentalist is because it is characterized as a movement. We are not a movement. The fight or fights we are engaged in today are the same fights we have always fought. There is a trajectory from what Europeans called the age of discovery to colonialism and then to imperialism. And all of it is driven by capitalism. 
And that trajectory leads to where we are now. We are involved in a fight for survival that goes back seven generations and another seven generations before that. We are literally talking about a fight that we have been engaged in since Europeans appeared on our shores. My understanding of the concept of seven generations is about living a life that pushes back against short-sightedness. It is about conducting ourselves in a manner that takes into account the impacts of our actions on seven generations beyond our own. Seven isn't a magic number, and it's not about any specific generation, but rather it's about being responsible to those children and those faces we will never see in our lifetime. Protecting the land for future generations is as essential to us as any part of our culture, including language and ceremonies. This may actually be the philosophical difference that lies at the foundation of this irreconcilable culture clash with settler colonialism. Ed Schindler is my first guest. He is a teacher and has spent a lifetime bringing the thoughts and words of those who came before us to our people today. Seven generations is one of the concepts that Ed speaks about. Yeah, the way I look at it at least is that we see a circle is very important as a symbol within our people and that we're not going to be the entire circle, we're just going to be part of that circle and therefore all the others that we can, that are, you know, with us, our family, they need to be able to continue also and that's the purpose of the seventh generation because there's not going to be an end according to what if we take care of things. That's basically what the creation is. It's a lot of circles in terms of how things relate to one another as well as how things support one another and therefore how we take care of each other. So that's, uh, that's an important understanding of the, the next generations and the coming generations. It's basically for the purpose of being able to continue within the circle. I think that's one important aspect of it is to understand that the unborn generations are the ones who are going to need the help before they even get here. And we teach the ones who are here, the young ones, children and grandchildren, gives them an understanding of what they have to be aware of and take part in. We uh, as a people acknowledge the land as our mother. The earth is our mother. Life comes from the earth. And it's understood that in doing so, we have to take care of the earth for all life to continue. Because of that, everything's related. We all have the same mother. We all have the same needs. And I'm talking not only about uh, humans, but there are also animals and birds and fish and all the things that we consider essential, like food, water, air, and everything that basically keeps us alive, even the basics. That is something we have to understand comes from the Earth. 
It is not something that is to be so-called um, traded and, and lobbied for and all that stuff. It's We're part of the Earth. And that's one of the biggest things to keep in mind is that in understanding that, then it's not going to be as um, exploited as we have allowed it to be. I think it's very important for people to understand that the Earth is is um, irreplaceable, and that's not something that can be overlooked. It has to be understood, and it has to be taught. Teaching is key. Getting people to understand why we refer to the Earth as our mother is essential to understanding a life not driven by a weekly paycheck or a return on investment, but rather a commitment to future generations. But technology now moves so quickly, there's almost a desperation to rush every new great idea through before it's bumped by the next new great idea. We need to do more than pump the brakes on chasing down the next shiny object. At some point, there needs to be a realization that the answer may not be the next great technological breakthrough that will allow everything to continue the way it has been, but rather a major shift in human behavior. One thing is clear. Defending the land is defending life. Paul Winnie has been a guest on LTN a number of times. He has taken on a number of issues over the years, including pushing back against local memorials for participants in the massacre at Wounded Knee and the fight against the massive horseshoe solar farm on archaeologically sensitive ancestral Seneca land. Paul is currently engaged in raising concerns over a large hydrogen gas production facility adjacent to Tonawanda, where he lives. Well, as you know, I'm right now currently doing the um, economic development plan that's right on our border, and the attend, uh, future tenant is Plug Power, which is a hydrogen manufacturing plant that they want to put basically right up against the backside of our reservation. So this is a issue that takes to heart because it's in my backyard other than maybe some of the windmill or solar or other indigenous things I've done. This is, this is very personal and an issue that goes on to our seventh generation, the impact of these type of things where it changes the atmosphere of our community into an industrial urban potential environment that would degrade our culture and our, our way of life away. And basically, um, so it, it's more of a battle of survival you know, on this, uh, on this case, because it's, it's, it's Tonawanda, my, the reservation, it's Tonawanda's Kinzu Dam, or it's the hydro reservoir in, in Tuscarora. So I just look at it like, I just fear the impact of this over time of what, what this would be. It's, it's one thing it's to have houses start moving closer to the roads that are surrounding us and, and have encroachment happening that way. This is kind of like a 
you know, a killer dynamic, if you would. This idea of of commercializing either our territories, um, which we've seen in places like Tuscora and uh, uh, down in Allegheny with the Kanzua Dam, <laughs> this idea of of covering up or taking over large swaths of land that are either a part of or adjacent to, or frankly, just lands that we have, um, you know, a, a close historical and cultural connection to it's, I liken much of this development to this continuation of erasure by, uh, changing the landscape, erasing any semblance of our, um, uh, of our relationship to that land. And so when you talk about survival, I, I, I pitch this in the same way that we were fighting against, you know, trails of tears and, you know, the, the removal era, uh, so much of the, of, of the desire to, to push us from our lands. Now, even with the small parcels of land and the small uh, amount of known presence that we have with, with some of the lands that are outside of our quote unquote territorial boundaries, we, we continue to face this, this level of erasure through, uh, through commercial development. Yeah. It's not only us, it's like you said, it's the wildlife environment because of, in our case, the, the national Iroquois wildlife refuge is also on the border of this project, along with uh, a state wildlife reserve on, on, on the other side. So, I guess putting something like this out, like you're saying, whether it's a, a pipeline, you talked about it before as being, we're, we're an expendable, um, both land and people, we're expendable to have these hazards put in our backyard, um, you know, tar sands oil or, or pipelines or, or you know, hydraulic plant, what if it blows up, you know, it's out here in the country next to us. So, um, and along, and then, and then I just take it to the max as far as just a, a basic genocide process of 500 years, as we know, is not, has not stopped. Well, and I get a little concerned about, you know, the, this, this push for green energy because it, it you know, it, it forces us to be in a situation, you know, that, that, that pits us against it. And, and look, and I'm not against the idea of solar panels or even the idea of windmills, but the idea of these utility scale developments that create hundreds of acres of, uh, of windmills that dominate the landscape and, and change, you know, again, change the ecosystem or these massive, you know, solar parks that they, that they, you know, literally, you know, cover our, our territories with, with, you know, acres and acres and acres of glass or in the situation with, with plug power in this hydrogen plant, you know, part of this idea of producing hydrogen was, is supposed to be a green energy source of fuel for, for fuel cells and, and, and the like, but nobody's, nobody is really looking at the footprint of this stuff and the environmental impact that these footprints have. And, where these footprints happen to lie. And, and this gets to your point is that we are looked at as, uh, as expendable people, like, like we are a less relevant population. And, and look, this is what we saw in the battle up in Standing Rock. 
The whole idea of directing these pipelines by native territory or through native territory or to where the impact of any, you know, of any calamity like a rupture would only impact native people, not white people. That's a that's a calculation in in the planning of these things. Yeah, they're laid out in purpose sometimes. And <clears throat> I mean, at first, I'd like to commend and thank any of the people that are doing the land protecting in, in these um, situations. And I know there's a, you know, Seneca gentleman at line three, as we talk, that's been out there since December, mm-hmm. helping out any way he can. So um, I just uh, feel that we keep on fighting these things and, um, and fighting and fighting, but the uh it comes down to is where where it all is going to take us <laughs> i mean we don't see it in a lifetime like the hydrogen plant is short to me it's kind of like a short term thing i mean they could put that hydrogen thing and technology could change so much in let's say five ten years that it sort of might be obsolete or you know they come up with some other idea or you know it, it was but it, but they got their foot in the door, and you know, then we're deaf, left with the situation. Well, I mean, look, look at look at nuclear power. I mean, there, this was supposed to be the you know the answer to all energy solutions, and and most of those nuclear uh, power plants are looked at as albatrosses that uh, you know that that carry a legacy of um, you know you know of costs associated with with them, stranded costs as they call them. So. Yeah, as technology changes and we become more aware of the of the pitfalls of uh, of technology that's developed, we we understand that it's a long term um, damage that can be done even for a short term um, you know advantage. And and I think that's one of the the points that that I've made here is this isn't just about what what can be produced on the land. It's the it's the time frame. There's a, there's that time factor. You know, when when land is evaluated by the, this European mentality, it's not just about what the land can produce, but how fast can it produce it? How much money and on, on what period of time can uh, can can this, you know, this revenue be produced? You know, you look up at, at the tar sands oil problems up in Alberta. The calculation isn't just that there's oil in that in that gooey muck in the sand, but can they come up with a process that they can generate enough profit and get enough return on their investment, not just in total, but in a period of time, that it makes their their investment and the environmental degradation worth it to them. And this is what we face. But I think this gets to another issue that you and I have discussed, which is where we do have an advantage is that we do have a different sense for the long game, where many of these um, these industries and these technologies do have a window that if we... You know, if, if we can make sure that uh, uh, that we push back on some of these projects long enough, that that window closes. You know, the, the again, that return on investment becomes less and less, uh, you know, viable. If we can continue to to maintain our um, our fight, if you will, you know, beyond even you know generationally, we end up we we have a better shot at the long game, even as we're fighting some of these these, these short term developments know that developers you know, one of their their philosophies is time is money and so everything that costs them time 
costs them money. And if it costs them money, it reduces the viability uh, of, of their project overall. So we are a key part of that strategy because we can throw um, you know, roadblocks literally sometimes, but, uh, but even metaphorically, uh, in, in the way of these, these developments and, and, and to your other point, I mean, this is, you know, f you know, 500 years of stress that our people have, have dealt with historically. And while this may not seem, you know, to represent the violence that some of our ancestors have faced in the, early parts of this same struggle. And that's what I keep characterizing it as, as, as the same struggle. I just did a part of a, a group meeting yesterday and I had to do a little bit on history um, during the treaties, obviously. And the land speculators were always trying to push to get the deals done because um, like the Ogden Land Company, I'm talking 1830s, that with the Indian Removal Act of 1830, they were making their wheeling and dealing. Let's say they borrowed money, but they needed to get the rights from the Senecas in order so that they didn't owe somebody $20,000 or something. So the same thing goes now with you got you got to have the plant and the solar panels in, you know, because our investors want to see progress. And that's kind of where it puts everybody in a pickle. I was telling a group, group of non-native supporters at their situation, you guys are in our shoes. It's not the settlers coming in, it's it's the development coming in. And the development are taking your farmland away and your right, your home rule rights away, just like we lost, you know, our stuff. So it's, <laughs> it's not a, it's a very big, we're all in this fight. Well, and, 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 and again, to back to, to my point about colonialism expanding to imperialism and then both of these things being the expansion of capitalism, this was destined to be this. I mean, this was destined to get here. Once you've, you, you, you have done, you've done your, your manifest destiny uh, across the continent and then pushed into other places, and whether you're talking about the, the United Kingdom or, you know, some of the other European nations or the United States and their role in grabbing up other countries and uh, and trying to assert presence in other places. Eventually, the, the world becomes a smaller place. And so those people who, who were indeed among the settler colonialist class, they too start to feel the pressure of some of this expansion of capitalism. So this does, it does exactly what you said. It puts us in the in the same in the same boat. I mean, after it's all said and done, I mean, it comes down to um, settling on some kind of change happening. You know, why are why are we doing this? Why are we, you know, fighting this? And the change has to come in in the form of society changing. You can't, you know, I can tell you, I was talking to somebody in an organization just a, a week ago and trying to explain the my my viewpoint of what we already had gone through with that water becomes a commodity all this stuff is about this green energy is all about making green green money and it's it's something that when i was actually talking to this person that i kind of got the impression that 
where are where are we going with this? Because you can't you can't train make magically make energy. It's still if it isn't coming from coal or or oil, it's still coming from something that's still detrimental to the environment. And she basically admitted that I don't know if we actually can save the planet. And and to have her admit that was like I I I it's kind of scary when you really think of where we actually are going. So the the change there has to be a change. And then you hear it whether it comes from your um let's say the president on down. I mean they can say what they want to say, but we need to change and and it's it's an individual it starts with an individual thing. I know it it's it's not really on the topic, but what we're trying to preserve is trying to get people to change whether I, I told one lady, I said, you can have all the people shut off every time you go out of the room, turn off your lights and your TV and and but and but then you're putting in more solar panels to add power and and more windmills to add power. And the only thing is 10 more people just got born. So you just shut off all your lights, but 10 more people just got put on this earth that are going to be putting on lights on and off. And the energy that you try to save isn't really saved. It's just going to get used. And uh, I guess it kind of gets into that whole technical, not technical, but real what reality of of making people commit to change in a totally different way i mean um we just need radical change i want to thank ed schindler and paul winnie for giving us their time today and sharing their thoughts Hey, one of the things I'd like to do that I haven't done a bunch of, I want to recommend some some books, uh, videos, and, uh, and, and some other things that I think that if you check them out, you might be interested in sharing. The first book that is kind of my go-to one-stop shopping for, um, for Native history is An Indigenous People's History of the United States by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. I recommend it highly. You can actually get it as an audio book. Um, as far as a, a video goes, um, one of my favorite movies is a film called Even the Rain. Um, it's a it's described as uh, as powerfully and richly layered, and it really is. It's a film about making a film about Columbus, and it shows the atrocities. Um, and you know, frankly, it shows how the same sentiments that uh, that enabled a Columbus to exist. Uh, still exist, so I, I recommend that highly. Uh, another video uh, that I've talked about on the program, which is "Exterminate All the Brutes," it's actually a mini series that has been featured on HBO. It's uh, it's a, it's a mini series by Raoul Peck. I recommend it highly. I want to recommend a friend of mine who does a podcast, uh, and it's called "Unfucking the Republic." You should check it out. It is uh, it's 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 exceptional. I also want to encourage you to to check out our YouTube channel. Let's Talk Native TV. As always, you can support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Let's Talk Native. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Talk Native. You can also follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Native TV. And of course, you can join our group page on Facebook. 
This is John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. Nyawe. Case here with these protesters, uh, clearly they're acting outside the law. They're trespassing on private property. They're blocking uh, public roadways. They're burning cars. They're throwing rocks and bottles at law enforcement officers. Uh, this is something that, again, this is outside the rule of law and outside the way that we actually resolve these sorts of issues. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, we, we feel for people who are worried about their drinking water and worried about uh, certain important sites that matter to their people, but Energy Transfer par- Partners had gotten federal permits, uh, followed those rules. Um, I suppose you do have to, when we're talking as a business network here, uh, look at the the oil and and the pipeline and all that's going through it. Be careful what you wish for, because this, along with Keystone, let's say all of this energy starts coursing through and Keystone eventually perhaps becomes a reality, considering Donald Trump says he's going to do it, um, the price continues to go down. Are you worried about then the unintended consequences for the business community that then you start to see a lot of these companies go under because the price is too low for them to make a profit. 